0: Well, as we transition into Hebrews chapter eleven, um, I do so very, very heavy-hearted. Um, let me start out this way: if if I were to tell you all that you know, Dean had discovered this map of uh, of, of the hills of Ravensdale, and there, there's a, a, a active mine out there for whatever reason they missed it and this mine is special because this mine has gold in it right and Dean has found the map to it would you be interested yeah you you would be very interested and and how many of you would prefer me to give you a copy of that map or just wing it from my, my recollection of seeing it one time because it's, you know, it's in my mind and the hills don't get confusing at all, right? Um, I, I think each and every one of you would, would take the copy, the photocopy. Well, much better than a treasure of gold is, is we, we have the promised treasure of heaven. A, a, a promised gift from God for eternal life in heaven. And we have a better map. We have God's Word that that guides and directs us there. And for us to put it aside uh, would be just as foolish as somebody putting aside a, a, a map uh, for, for a, a mine of gold. And yet more and more we see people um, doing that. Especially in Christianity. Now I don't I don't expect the university to have Bible classes, right? I mean, I really don't expect them, even though they started off as seminaries Harvard, Yale, Princeton. um, But I wouldn't expect that today. But I do expect our churches to uphold the scriptures. And that's our starting point. And I said that I was heavy hearted because you guys have known me now for, I think it's been eight years, um, some of you longer. And I don't name names. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of putting down other preachers, other, um, other denominations. And part of the reason is you don't know the whole story. You don't know the whole deal. And so, you know, you, 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 you put truth forward and kind of let you decide. The problem is in today's day and age with YouTube and books there's just way too much information that, that's going out into your home, right? Into your, the, the palm of your hand through a phone with preachers and teachers that are um, proclaiming new truths. You know, one of those old sayings, that if it's new, it probably isn't true, right? When you're talking about theology and doctrine. Well, as, as a shepherd... Um, sometimes it's our responsibility to, to to warn the flock. And so this past week, a, a good friend of mine, a pastor, said, "Hey, I want you to listen to this this uh, sermon." And and it was from uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. If you guys are familiar with Dallas, Dallas is like the pillar of of Christianity in the 1900s. Okay, uh, this is like the leading. Uh, seminary for Bible-believing uh, churches, and and the seminary I went to, uh, almost all the guys who were trained were trained at Dallas or read the Men of Dallas. Many of you probably have Bibles that are from the Men of Dallas, Schofield Ryrie, right? Mm-hmm. The Ryrie Study Bible, the Schofield Bible. Uh, th- th- this is an institution was the absolute pillar of faith of Christian fundamentalism and. Over the past probably 25 years, they've 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 let things slide a little bit. They've sent a lot of their guys over to to England and to study the, the liberal theologians at, at universities there, and it just hasn't quite been. And then a lot of the men have died. You know, Howard Hendrickson, Norman Geisler. I mean, these are pretty big names if you've uh, you know, read any theology books. Well. This past, or I'm not sure exactly when it was recorded, but uh, this past week I was given this sermon, and some of you may be familiar with Andy Stanley. Um, probably very familiar in this crowd with his dad, Charles Stanley, who is very popular and famous, you know, preacher that was on TV, very sound and, 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 and biblically driven. Andy is is far more popular than even his dad these days, and. There's churches all over the world in America who actually take his sermons and preach the exact same sermon. And, and that's part of what's at the heart of, 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 at the core of my concern is, it would be one thing if it were just Andy Stanley, but it's Andy Stanley has a massive impact on our theology. When he goes to Dallas Theological Seminary and tells the, the pastors of the future that, this is the way that you need to teach and preach the gospel well you better be right <laughs> and what is that way <clears throat> and so andy uh, went on to state that look the, the the key to the to the gospel is the resurrection of jesus christ right well you know romans 10 9 uh how is one saved confess with your mouth mouth that that Jesus' is lord they died buried and rose again the resurrection absolutely uh, key to uh, Christian the christian faith but is that all we need and, and, and in his presentation he talked about removing things from our va- vocabulary in order to to preach the, the gospel especially to skeptics because nowadays we have so many skeptics and they're They're pretty sharp and they're pretty astute and clever. And so we don't really want to get into uh, a battle with them using the Bible. We just want to verbally talk about the resurrection. And so he has systematically, in the last six years, removed the phrase from his mouth, you know, in the Bible. Because he doesn't really want to quote the Bible. Um, He uses terms like, I want to anchor people's faith to an event. The event, resurrection, sparked a movement that then brought the Bible. Okay? And so, and this is a direct quote, he wants to give a foundation that will endure from forever not to a book. So the foundation of the gospel, the foundation of of our faith is is not tied into the Bible, but tied into the, the verbal story of the resurrection. Now it's you may think that it's just semantics, um, but let me continue. Uh, he he goes on to, to state that we have a much better story than, than what the Bible gives us. So that should raise some antennas. Now, the next statement is, look, we, we've got a story from Matthew. We've got a story from Luke. We've got a story from the brother of Jesus, James, right? We need to tell those stories. Well, right away, you should think, wait a minute, aren't those stories the Bible? (laughs) Yes. So it seems a little contradictory and confusing. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, what he keeps coming back to is, look, the narrative that we want to preach today comes from talking about the, the amazing act of the resurrection. And, and, and whatever happened before that really isn't necessary. It, it's, in essence, it's, it's boring to people. It's not enough. It's not exciting enough. You want to tell a story that's going to make people get excited. Well, instantly, as I'm listening to this, you know, I think, well, first of all, well, where do you get the resurrection from anyway, <laughs> right? I mean, all our understanding, if I want to tell the resurrection story, comes from the Bible. And again, I would challenge you, every Easter we do this, right? We go back and we, 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 we've you know, got multiple gospels that give us accounts of, of the resurrection of Jesus. How many times do you read or listen to a sermon and go, huh, I didn't realize that was there. I forgot that was there. If I did a quiz right now, how many angels were on the tomb? How many, which people came first, right? It's like the telephone game. We would end up with all kinds. We don't need to do that. We've got God's word that tells us in print. Um, So the last thing in the world I would want to do is rely on somebody who just memorized it verbally. I would not want you to do that with me. Okay, we want to go to God's Word. Uh, our story comes from God's Word. The, again, the idea of 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, of uh, the Gospel, which we're saved according to the Scriptures. Our only understanding of the Gospel comes from the Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3-15, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, Correction, reproof, and training in righteousness, right? All of Scripture is God-breathed. One of the mistakes I think Andy makes is he, he'll, he'll say, well, James said or Paul said. And, it's, and I try to be very careful about that because my, my concern is it's God who wrote the Bible, not a man. In, in God's infinite, unique way, that there, there was personality in the people who wrote, but it's God's Word. Make no mistake. And to give credit to these these eyewitnesses um, is is a very slippery slope indeed. In short, it just sounds like somebody who's literally ashamed of the gospel. Literally ashamed of using the Bible as your proof text for talking to your friends, your neighbors about Christianity. In fact, in Romans 1.16 it says... What has the power of salvation? A really good preacher. Right? A, a phenomenal PowerPoint presentation. It's what has the power unto salvation is the gospel itself. It's the word of God. It has power. I was talking to my son, and you know, and God love him. First thing out of his mouth, you know, was, well, isn't like the Bible sharper than any two-edged sword? Bam! Yes, we learn that in Hebrews, right? Th- this word has power. It- it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharper than my tongue, right? And over and over and over again, it proclaims itself to be the living, inerrant word of God. And so, instantly, as I'm listening to this, you know, I it just all these verses start popping into my head. It's like, well, what is our faith? Because we're talking about faith. Right, especially in Hebrews eleven, it's like faith comes from hearing, from hearing from the word of God. Right, it's like drives you right back to the word of God. The Bereans examined the scriptures to see if it were so. They they treasured the scriptures. Jesus Himself, when He's in battle with Satan, when you guys are are living life and in spiritual battle, what's your defense? god's word jesus quotes god's word back to satan um, god did not want us to be ignorant so he gives us uh, this book that gives us instruction for daily living in psalm one one of my favorite passages is you know we are called to meditate on this day and night and ironically as I' listened to, to this for 40 minutes not one verse was used. well why should it? He doesn't believe in it anymore and, and I'm telling you um, I, again for everything that I've seen Andy Stanley would be a, a, a man of God who is a, you know a, a preacher of the gospel but from from that um, talk I would I would have to say that he's going down a path that is heretical and, and very destructive especially as he's instructing you to fold up shop and put your Bibles away um, there is no power in in, in Pastor Tony and I, and I don't just say that, that I have no power the only accurate truth and wisdom that I have is derived from God's word, that's it and so with that being said, today we Sorry, that was my little soapbox. It Once every ten years, you know what? That's uh, but it. But it. It became very applicable to what we're doing because we're getting ready to look at not just the passage of God's word, but really this passage says we love Scripture so much. Let me use Scripture to explain what I'm talking about. I want to tell you about faith. The only way I know how to tell you about faith is I'm going to go into this book and I'm going to pull out all these different examples of how faith actually really works. Not by my own personal story, anecdote, right? But by people of the Bible. And so today we're reminded by Scripture, again, beginning with Moses, with the prophets. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus when he says, hey, Beginning with Moses and the prophets, it was about me. We're reminded by scripture that we can hold fast to our faith. Because that's what the context here is in Hebrews 11. How do we live through through trial? How do we live through struggle? How do we hold fast to the faith? Well, we can do that in three ways. Uh, through an uncompromising faith. An unflinching commitment. An unbeatable approval. Again, remember, Hebrews is a book. It's a book in transition. You've got a lot of Jews, Old Testament Jews, that have their, their Old Covenant belief system, and it's transitioning into the New Covenant, looking at Jesus, and there's a lot of confusion. You've got sin. Remember the people in Hebrews 10 who keep on willfully sinning and, and God shakes him up says, hey, listen, if you do that, you should have an expectation for judgment, not for heaven. Which then rattles the cage for all of us. And so then when we come to uh, Hebrews 11, we're reminded again, listen, we all live by faith. So we all may have sin in the camp. But we live by faith. Let me give you some examples of what that looks like. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we see the word faith used 18 times when you're studying a book and you kind of circle some key words, some key verbs. Um, When a word is repeated over and over again, you you may want to key into that. And The word of the day today is, is faith, faith remember James 3.18 says faith then is is the faith is is, um, working with works. Faith works with works. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for with the conviction of things not seen. We learned that last week, right? So, the first thing we want to look at, uncompromising faith. We hold fast By uncompromising faith. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. By parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. We begin our little journey through the the heroes of the faith. And it starts with Moses, right? Starts with Moses. And there's a lot of attention here paid to Moses. And then as we move down, you'll see that uh, we, we have just more sweeping strokes of... Of, of general statements of people. But we hold fast with an uncompromising faith. And, and, and where, do we, where are we drawn to first? Well, let's look at Moses, the life of Moses. And what's cool about the life of Moses is it actually begins before Moses. In Exodus 1, 8, we see the, the, the scene. We, we see the, the Israelites are in bondage to the people of Egypt. And, and the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has totally forgotten about how good you know, Joseph was, right? Totally forgot about you know, the, the promises that were made to the Israelites. And so what we see now is the babies, the midwives are being commanded to abort the babies, right? To kill the babies. And the midwives, and I love this, the, the midwives... Showed no compromise in their faith. You know what? We're we're not going to do that. Now, again, you have to understand that this isn't like today where, you know, you just... uh, If you don't like the president, fine. You don't have to like him. You can have stickers all over your car. You can have YouTube channels. You know, in this day, when you disobey the king's edict, you die. There's no in between. Okay, So, so when we talk about having an uncompromising faith. This is the kind of faith that, you know what, I would be willing to die over this issue. And it begins with midwives. And so they refuse to do that. And then we see the birth of Moses in Exodus 2. And his parents just say, well, we're not going to destroy our child. We're not going to do it. We're not going to... Going to Make that compromise, and so they don't. And all this again is is a fear of God, a trust in God more than a fear of man. And so that's how we see faith at work. The other cool thing we see is, is we see a progression in the life of Moses. Is if you just read Exodus, you come and if you only watch, you know, the movie The Ten Commandments, which. Mm-hmm. It's so conflicting because these movies are, are pretty cool, okay? And they and they give visuals of the scene that, quite frankly, um, are, are pretty spectacular. But but they're, they're they're not accurate, right? And so they lead you to believe. And, and many of us probably have some of these ideas of of Moses and how he grew up and and, and Hebrews comes back and really lays it on the line. Look, by faith when Moses had grown up, he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Now you don't really get that sense when you only read Exodus. That, that Moses had made a decision. I am not going to identify myself with, with royalty. I'm going to identify myself with the Hebrews. When we read Exodus we have this idea that moses is with the royals and one day he's walking through and sees a hebrew mistreated and just gets caught in the emotion and and saves his life and and kills the egyptian right and all of a sudden oh no um gosh i'm not supposed to do that I, i i'm afraid of pharaoh so i'm gonna run away right That's what we think. What does Hebrews 11 say? By faith, when he had grown up, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was his choice. Choosing, rather, to endure ill treatment with the people of God than, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses made an identification between the lifestyle of However, he was growing up in the household of Pharaoh, and that was equated to pleasure and sinful pleasure, right? This is an act of spiritual commitment to God. It's very fascinating. Verse 26, "...considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." Moses was looking forward to this reward that was better than what the household of Pharaoh had to offer. Now, he couldn't fully articulate Jesus Christ. He couldn't fully articulate what, what heaven might have looked like. But in his mind, in his faith, in his heart, he knew his team. His team was Yahweh. His team was, it was the Hebrews. And he had chosen that way and passed on the pleasures of sin. By faith, then, he left Egypt. He left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. He didn't leave Egypt because he was afraid of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. He was running to God, not running away from the human king. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. Now, we take the Passover for granted, right? We've read it so many times. Of course, if an angel of death was going to come and kill everybody, all you would do is sprinkle some blood on your doorpost, right? Who wouldn't do that to save your family? Well, when you've never heard of that in your whole life, and somebody says to you, Hey, look, uh, your firstborn is going to be taken tonight, but all you got to do is you know, s- spread a little garlic on your doormat. Would you do it? It would sound utterly ridiculous, right? So this is an act of faith that Moses actually, not only does he do the Passover, but we know by leadership... He gets other people to do it as well. It'd be one thing for you going, fine, I'm going to do it. But then to convince everybody else, that shows where his faith is, right? Conviction and assurance equals faith. By faith, they pass through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. Now, at first glance, you think, I don't, I don't know why that's there. Why, why does it take faith to pass through, you know, the Ballard Locks when they're working in order, right? You know why? Because this was a scary scene in real life. In real life, you don't see seas parted in half, okay? And again, we, we really have no conceptual idea of what that looks like. Again, go back to the Ten Commandments where you kind of see the walls, Right? Of the water, and if you go to Universal Studios, they show you how they did that, right? But in real life, um, this is literally like what what the the Psalms refer to as like God holding and saying, "Stop," to to the waters, right? You're going to stop right here. Well, I can see the water, and I can see that it stopped, but there's a long walk through that, and now you want me to walk my family through it. When's that going to come down? And then we're all dead, right? We see in the second half, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So it it was a scary scene. It was powerful enough, deep enough, to when the Egyptians went through, it killed them. Well, that's what they could see. What they could see walking through the Red Sea was, was death and destruction. But by faith, they went it really changes the, the way you look at the Red Sea. Again, we've, we've read it so much that maybe we've um, taken it for granted. But see, Moses had this uncompromising faith. And, and we see this progression in his life and these, these different stepping stools that just kind of keep building and building and building. And those are to help us to hold firm and hold fast no matter what the situation is even if it's a sea to have faith in God then we see verse 30 uh, verse 30 by faith the walls of Jericho after they had been encircled for 7 days they fell down if you're familiar with the story and again this is one sentence it's one sentence and we have a whole you know book that has chapters devoted to in the book of Joshua, and again, you know, just looking at that and going, all right, I want to read Joshua, and you, all right, we're going to start chapter one. It's like, be strong, be courageous, right? Keep the word of God. It's like, yeah, okay, well, how do you, that's how you live by faith. That's how you're strong and courageous, because you're keeping to the commandments of God, right? Fast forward, now they're circling, they, they've just crossed the Jordan, they, Israel is no longer wandering in the desert. They're about to get the promised land, but there's enemies everywhere, and this is a strong uh, fortitude. This, this walls of Jericho, I mean, they're right on the border, right? They're like the first city. It's like, every time anybody comes from Egypt and they come across, guess what? Let's stop by Jericho, right? Let's go take on Jericho. So these guys are ready for war. They've got these walls. It's a strong fortitude, and God tells them, look, here's the, here's the strategical war plan, okay? Here's the general patent war plan. Here's the city, here's their walls, here's their armies, here's their strengths, or weaknesses and so um, we're going to walk around in a circle and, and chant and pray, right? And we're going to do this like for seven days. It's like, what? <laughs> um, so when we talk about faith, yeah, that, that, that takes faith, right? To believe in that plan six days. It takes faith to trust that God is going to work out his plan by you walking around in circles. And that's exactly what God does. And that's why we see here um, that it was an element of faith. That was the key to their success. Then we see again in this story, Rahab. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab. Rahab the wonderful. Rahab the you know, the, the pure, Rahab the, the saint, right? No, Rahab the harlot. Again, how gracious is God to us that he kept us out of his book with the worst sin that you ever committed, right? And it's like, okay, here's Bob the blank. Forever, for all of us to see, by faith. Rahab, the harlot, did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies into peace. Rahab's faith moved her to action. Not only did she choose a a, a different country, but the truth is she chose a different God. She chose a different God to follow. Did she know everything about Yahweh? Did she know everything about the God of Israel? No. She, she knew a very little bit. But somehow in her, she knew of all the gods that I've ever heard of before, of all the idols, of all the, the different stories. You know what? There's something about their God. that's real. And I'll put my life on it. I'll, I'll put my life on it. And so a couple thousand years later, we're reading about Harlot, or about Rahab the faithful. Rahab the faithful. Well, then we move to kind of a a, a rapid pace, right? Verse 32, And what more shall I say then? For time will fail me, and time will fail you. There's not enough time to to read and study all these. I mean, this is why we need to be in our word day and night. and And it takes years to study God's word. And you need to read it because it's so powerful and so in, in a, in a, just a big umbrella approach, uh, Hebrews 11:32 says, well, what about Gideon? What about Barak, Samson, Jephthah? What about David and Samuel and the prophets, right? Now, these are the kind of the first names. And then as we move forward through, through the next verses, then we get to the events that happened. So we got Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. We're very, very familiar with some of them, right? We're very familiar with David and the, you know, the Goliath event. Okay, well, verse 33. Who, who, by their faith, they conquered kingdoms. They didn't, con- Israel did not conquer kingdoms because of their powerful army sizes, That is not how they conquered kingdoms. They didn't conquer kingdoms because they had walls and a history. They conquered kingdom and we see the stories of of how God fought for them. Right? They performed acts of righteousness. These people, they obtained promises. We got Brother Daniel, you know, shutting the mouths of lions. We've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego quenching the power of fire and the fiery furnace, right? Many of these people escaping the edge of the sword. In weakness, they're made strong. They become mighty in war. They, They put foreign enemies to flight. Foreign enemies run away from them. See... By faith, they're, they're, they're able to hold fast. They're able to hold fast by an unflinching commitment, an unflinching commitment that allows Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David to, to them perform these amazing feats that we've read about for, for so long. And we see these just these great commitments to God. That we too can can tie into. Because we too will have struggle. We too will have conflict. We too will have times where you know what? We want to be weak. And Hebrews 11 is here to encourage you. How many examples would you like to see of men and women who by faith held firm, we're committed, um, unflinching, because we can keep going all day, right? Especially since we have God's Word that catalogs this, which again, why would you want to put this thing away? I, I love the phrase that this is, you know, in... in In Ephesians, we we talk about the armor of God, right? The armor of God that protects us, that defends us in our faith. We have one weapon. One weapon. That weapon is the sword, the word of God. And and it has that idea of, you know what? I want to unsheathe my sword, right? I want to bring out my sword. I want to use my only weapon, And and to have somebody suggest that I don't want to use this um, seems very silly at best and dangerous at the worst. Because I pull this out to then remind me because you know what? Today I'm having a hard day. I'm having a hard week. I don't like this pain that is not going away. It hasn't been a month. It's been like 10 years. I don't like what's going on in my marriage. My kids are struggling. Um, my job. My finance. I mean, we can go on and on forever, right? And so, how do I keep going? How do I hold fast? How do I have an uncompromising faith? I don't want to be, you know, bobbing around. I want to be strong. I want to be want to be firm. I want to be like, like Moses, like. Rahab, like Gideon. And are these people perfect? Praise God they're not, right? Because then we would we would read this and go, well, I can't do be that. I can't do this stuff. I look at this list and go, Yeah, I I, I know stuff Moses did, I, I know stuff Rahab did, I know stuff you know, Samson did, I, I know stuff David did, right? Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can live by faith. And if I can live by faith, then verse 35, if you live by faith, even if your child dies, women receive back their dead by resurrection. We saw two examples of this with Elijah and Elisha, that the, the dead were raised. Others were tortured, not accepting the release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection, Verse 36, and yet others experienced mockings and scourging. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. We, we, we may have had things kind of rough, but I don't know that many of us in this room have experienced scourgings, chains, and imprisonment. And I'm talking about because of your faith, right? Right? Verse 37, they were stoned. These are real examples. Naboth was stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted and they were put to death. Believers have been put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. We've had brothers and sisters in Christ who have been so destitute, so dirt poor, you couldn't even imagine. Verse 38, wandering in the deserts, mountains, and caves, and in holes in the ground. Talk about homelessness. Um, verse 39, and all these things gained approval. How? Through their faith. Through their faith scripture reminds us scripture reminds us again not only that we need to hold fast and firm but how to and the encouragement that we can that we can it's a beautiful thing because we would forget how many times have you come across a passage and you've read it before and you've been sitting here and I I read it to you and you're like oh yeah yeah, forgot about that. It's like, you know what? That's because we we need the reminding, and God is, is 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 so much smarter than us. That you know the key to learning is is repetition, right? And repetition is the key to learning. It goes back and forth. You know, you learn by repeating. You repeat and you learn. it's, a, it's an incredible thing. And over and over and over again, God Repeats himself and repatches. Well, let me give you an example of, of, of how atonement works. Um, let me talk about, uh, we're, we're going to talk about how that works in a temple. We're going to talk about how that works as a kinsman redeemer. We're going to talk about how that works as a lamb. We're going to talk about how that works as, as, as a grain offering, right? So many different ways to teach and instruct us on what substitutionary atonement is, so that when we come to this point, we have a c- crystal clear picture. So many examples and then repeating it over and over and over again so that we can understand that we live by faith, not by our works, not by our actions. And that's one of the key points here that that we need to understand. What you do not see 18 times is by works, Isaac, by works, Jacob, by works, Joseph, by works, Moses, right? That is not an accident. That is because what came first, the chicken or the egg, right? The faith. The faith comes before the works. The faith comes before the works. Well, we hold fast finally by an unbeatable, unbeatable approval. Verse 39, all these things having gained approval, how? Through their faith. Through their faith, not by the works, which could be very deceptive after reading about all these amazing things. But they gain approval through their faith. They did not receive what was promised. You guys understand that these people that we read about in the scriptures, so many of them, when we talk about promises and especially key promises like the Abrahamic promise, land, seed, and blessing, right? Land, Messiah, and and, and the the blessing of, 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 of not wealth, prosperity, but being taken care of, that most of them didn't even experience getting their land, or for all their life, were fighting for their land, or, or being sent out of their land, exiled from their land, right? And so, but yet they still live by faith. They, they didn't see the Messiah come to fruition. They didn't see or taste heaven, and yet they still having not received what was promised, they still live by faith. Verse 40, because God had something better for us so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Our our approval, our acceptance, our affirmation, it it all comes from Christ. What What I like about how chapter 11 ends Again, it doesn't end with you guys need to go out and, 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 and pick your, your favorite hero of the faith and be like them. And do what they do. It, it, again, it, it turns us back to gaining our approval by faith, looking towards Christ, looking towards bringing us back on track of, of, the, of the point of the book of Hebrews, which is we have a better way, right? Christ is supreme to Moses. Christ is supreme to the high priest. Christ is supreme to calves and lambs, right? Christ is supreme to the law, to the old covenant, to the new covenant. And so we we, we have this chapter here and, and we get really excited and pumped about heroes of the faith, but don't lock into the wrong thing. Don't lock into these people. Lock back onto these promises that God has given us, and they're even better than whatever this is. Um, And that, then, is what propels us to be able to hold fast. Because, again, in, in Hebrews... And the Bible is not just a book of doctrine and theology. Yes, it gives us doctrine. Yes, it gives us theology. Yes, it's this amazing thread that's woven from the first pages and all throughout this of of teaching us about what redemption is. But it also helps us to get from A to B, from B to Z, right? Because we live human lives. And God's going to help us out with that, too. And he's going to understand that there'll be confusion. This is a very, very confusing time for you. I mean, it's almost impossible for us to imagine as a a New Testament Jew, the transition that they're going through. And yet God is walking them through that and explaining to them. And we are the benefactors of of seeing how Jesus is then explained, right? Right? How he's explained in the book of Hebrews, not only for the, the, the Jews, but for us as well. So that we know that we cling to Christ. Our assurance, our conviction, our, our, the, the way we live boldly isn't because of law. And it isn't because of works. It isn't because of us. It's because we hold fast by our faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.